As we know, when the Buddha was preparing to enter Parinibbana, he was asked who would be the teacher of the followers of the Buddha once he was gone. And he said that the Dhammavinaya will be your teacher. He didn't pass on the uh, leadership of the Buddhist teaching to any one person or one monk in particular. He said that Dhammavinaya would be your teacher. So one way that Buddhists look at the Sangha is as preservers of Dhammavinaya. It's one of uh, the roles of the Sangha in the world. Preserve the texts through uh, studying, learning them, memorizing them and preserving the Vinaya through the practice, not just memorizing it, but putting it into practice. And one of the reasons Lumpur Cha is so respected in the Buddhist community was because his, of his skill in teaching Dhamma Vinaya to the monastic community and to the wider lay community, and particularly uh, to foreigners as well, teaching it in a way that could preserve it, preserve a way of practice for future generations and particularly in a changing world. Obviously the world, uh, society has changed a lot since the time of the Buddha, which always presents challenges to us as Buddhist monks. Lumpur Cha seemed to have a, um, a skill and wisdom that he used to help preserve the, the heart of the Buddha's message in the way of training, but also just had that adaptability or uh, flexibility out uh, that allowed the Sangha to grow and to deal with some of the modern challenges facing the practice of Buddhism and particularly Buddhist monasticism. Perhaps Lumpur Cha's skill, uh, many people have faith in him as uh, an enlightened teacher, so somebody who had both had very good understanding of conventional reality, teaching Buddhism in a conventional sense to the Sangha and laity, but then also had direct experience of ultimate reality or the unconditioned. And this allowed him to teach and guide his students very well. <coughs> and perhaps was one reason why he sometimes seemed to be able to interchange between the two in a moment and catch everybody out because everybody else maybe is not yet has not yet had deep insight into the unconditional or ultimate reality and so where they may be still clinging to the conventions he might just quickly point out or point them towards the unconditional or maybe it's just the nature of an enlightened mind. It's like that. It's not even planned or done uh, with much intention. It just happens. But one of the un, uh, surprising things that happens the more we practice is perhaps the more we appreciate one of the aspects of Lumpur Cha's teaching was that he talked a lot, a lot about um, how things are just the way they are, or they're just normal, they're just ordinary. 
the word in Thai is Thamada, or Thamachat for nature, Thamada for ordinary. And it seems to be, an, again, another attribute of the enlightened mind is that they see things as just ordinary, just the way they are, without embellishment, because they can penetrate the conventional truth or the apparent truth that we're normally bound up with and see through to the ultimate truth, the unconditioned. And therefore can see things, everything is just ordinary, just normal. And so you'd hear him talk about this a lot, whether it's on the level of just practicing uh, daily monastic routine, following the rules and training rules as, as a monk. You say, you know, you're just practicing so that it's just ordinary to follow the rules. It's normal to keep precepts, keep rules of moral discipline, not monastic discipline. It's just normal to view the world with the Dhamma, using the Dhamma as your framework, using the Four Noble Truths as your framework. But also on the very more refined aspects of meditation and understanding the mind internally, getting to see that everything is just ordinary. So perhaps he was coming from this place of deep experience of the unconditioned, so he was able to say, yeah, we practice Buddhism, we cultivate the good, we have abandon evil, and we purify our mind, meaning we go beyond good and evil. And see that good and evil in, the, in themselves are still part of conventional reality. <clears throat> to see that even kilesas arising in our mind are just ordinary. It's just what happens, it's just how they function. When there's a cause, then a kilesa arises. How the progress of our practice, experiencing more states of calm, insight, pity and sukha, knowledge and insight that arises from the development of mindfulness. It's still just ordinary. <clears throat> it's just the way it is. There's this constant returning to just seeing things as ordinary the way they are, rather than getting excited by special or extraordinary states of mind that might appear in meditation, or rather than talking about exalted states of enlightenment is constantly bringing people back to that which is ordinary. And this is often something that catches new Buddhists out, especially for coming from a non-Buddhist background. And a lot of people come into Buddhism because they're looking to meditate, to experience something different or special. Because of our previous conditioning, we're often seeing meditation as a task that we have to perform, or like a course that we have to take on, go through lessons and stages and gain knowledge of techniques and complete the course and then experience something special, different, or extraordinary. But if you become familiar with Lumpur Chah's teachings, you realize the nearer you get to completing 
the course, if that's the way you look at it, is actually when you start to see everything as very ordinary. Of course, in the world, the worldly sense, that doesn't sound very attractive. It doesn't sell well. And the way it is nowadays, Dhamma is being sold in books and courses, people pay to go on them. Doesn't sound extraordinary, uh, doesn't sound very inspiring to many people when you say, I'm just going to teach you to see everything as ordinary. As ordinary is, is against the, the stream of society where we're trying to always get something that's special, different, better, bigger, brighter, newer, fresher, etc. So this is something maybe to reflect on your, the attitude you bring to your meditation. What are you looking for? Are you looking for the ordinary, just seeing the way things are, or are you hoping for something better or different? And then obviously maybe getting disappointed when you don't seem to get something better or different. Sometimes people would ask Lumpur Cha, where, where does the practice begin? Does it begin with sila or samadhi? Or panya, and he might give different answers to that question, but quite often he would say it begins with wisdom, which would confuse people because they are often thinking, well, the, the higher part, the advanced part of the practice is the development of wisdom, insight, clear knowledge and vision of the way things are. So how can it start with wisdom? <clears throat> but obviously wisdom is something that grows and matures, but wisdom in the beginning of the practice is samaditi, at least on the ordinary level, listening to the Dhamma, reading, listening, contemplating the Dhamma that we've learned, remembering the Dhamma that we've learned, is where the practice begins. So we have some smaller or deeper understanding that there is suffering in the world, we're bound up with suffering and that maybe there's something some way out of that, something better, leads us to look more deeply at our experience as human beings. And to keep the Vinaya as bhikkhus, it takes some wisdom to see the value of that. When we lose our wisdom, because obviously on the mundane level wisdom can come and go, it's still not, it hasn't yet maybe penetrated deep into our heart. And when we lose our wisdom we might doubt, I think, what's the point of keeping the Vinaya or training ourselves in this way? We get a lot of, uh, particularly from lay people who have obviously never ordained, they might have doubts. Isn't the way of a monk just too extreme, too ascetic, too simple? Or we often hear about how we're not living in the real world, we're escaping from the world by living in this way. You need some wisdom, you need to think it through. You know, why do we keep Vinaya? Why do we live in this way? What's the purpose? It's training ourselves on the conventional level, the ordinary level, training this person. At first, just to learn how to live peacefully with oneself and with others, even if we still haven't had direct experience of the unconditioned or Nibbana yet, but just learning to be at peace with others, live in a skillful way. Sometimes the Buddha would use the term comfort and convenience of the Sangha. We're just learning to live 
in a way that's comfortable and convenient for everyone, but also is supportive of our own practice. So just learning to be uh, at ease and live normally within the Vinaya. When you reflect in this way, you have to accept, well, on that level, you're still thinking about a person. We're using conventional reality, or samuti satcha, to our advantage. So there is a person who decides to become a monk, decides to take on the rules and practices of a monk, keeps the sila, keeps practices morality. So on that level, there is a sense of right and wrong, good and bad, good practice, bad practice. So it takes a bit of wisdom just to accept that, see that, see the value of that. Maybe wisdom in the beginning of our practice is the wisdom that knows there are some things I know and then some things I don't know yet. And you have that understanding clear in your mind. So you're open to learning and investigating the truth, but you also accept you don't know everything yet. The wisdom is always balanced by the faculty of faith, satta. In faith in the teacher and the system of training, faith in the Buddha, faith in Ajahn Chah, so it means you have some trust that what you don't know yet, you'll just accept, accept that and maybe accept it on a theoretical level as a, as a working theory to practice with but that's not a problem you just accept it trusting in the in the system and the teacher but then there'll be some things you do know already some aspects of our wisdom will be actually have arisen from our own experience so we may have meditated and experienced a little bit of calm or seen the value of having restraint of body and speech keeping the vinaya you may already have noticed how this helps us so wisdom and faith, they balance each other and they help us to train in the beginning but they both mature through experience, through practice. Even on the level of meditation, we still talk in conventional terms. You talk about the, the person, there is a person who meditates, who puts effort into developing mindfulness of an object. There is an object, say the breath, there's a person who puts attention on the breath. We meditate for an hour or something, we, for a period of time, or we walk meditation for a period of time. You know, we talk about it in the beginning, on the conventional level, and we use language and we use terminology to help us understand what we're doing. So we think about what is the goal of meditation, what is the technique, what are the obstacles, what are the ways to overcome the obstacles? So we talk about hindrances, talk about effort, right effort. And there's somebody who makes effort to bring up mindfulness. And there's somebody who lets go of the hindrances, overcomes the hindrances, giving up anger through developing metta. Somebody who gives up sleepiness by exerting effort to go beyond sleepiness, drowsiness, sloth and torpor and so on. Even in the beginning of meditation we talk in these 
terms, the conventional reality. But the more we experience our minds and become awakened to the way that our minds are, then we maybe start to use these reflections of Lumbo Cha to see, well, these things are just ordinary. Not ordinary in the sense of just let the hindrances run wild as they always have, and overcome my mind as they always have, but to see, well, it's just ordinary hindrances come up. They have causes. When those causes are, uh, and conditions are arising, then the hindrance will arise. When the right causes and conditions are applied, that hindrance will f pass away. It's just ordinary, it's just, you might say, a part of nature, or the way it is. And the more you practice, then little by little the sense of taking it all personally or giving great meaning to it subsides. And so we might have our first glimpses of uh, what is beyond conventional reality say, a peaceful mind where we do manage to focus our attention on the meditation object and the hindrances drop away and the mind becomes more calm and one-pointed and maybe for longer periods of time, not just for a few moments, but for 30 minutes or an hour, we might have a very calm and still state of mind where the mind is very firm <clears throat> and undistracted by the hindrances. Then we might really start to have some faith and confidence in what the Buddha taught, what Lumpur Cha taught, and say, mm, this is something that is helping me to understand more deeply what is the condition, what is the unconditioned, what is convention and what is beyond convention or apparent reality. When your mind becomes still and peaceful like that, you can reflect very well on what you previously were attaching to and identifying with, because obviously it's dropped away temporarily. So you can see how the conventional sense of a self, a person, how it's normally the way we're thinking and always reacting to the world. I like this and I want this. I don't like that, I don't want that. Always identifying with our <clears throat> sense contact and our emotional reactions to things. Identifying with our ideals, all the different concepts and thoughts we have in our mind. Normally that's who we are identifying with, the sense of self. But then when you experience a little bit of calm, or deep sense of calm, that drops away. But at the same time, when you look back at what you were previously attaching to, you can still say it's just ordinary. It's just the way of human beings being born into the world. It's just ordinary that they will develop a sense of self, follow that sense of self, the personality, who they are, who their friends and family are, what they want in life, what they identify with in life, and so on can see it, and you can see it, oh, it's just ordinary for human beings, unenlightened human beings, to do that. But now you're having a taste of something different. That in itself is also ordinary. It's just the mind, 
that sees through the conventional reality more clearly, at least has a glimpse of it. it says, oh, it's just the way it is. There is the mind that is peaceful, the hindrances are not there, that can function very well, mindfulness is steady and continuous, and the ability to reflect is and contemplate the truth is very well developed to that point, or can be well developed to that point. But it's just ordinary, it's just another experience for the mind to know, to experience. So even when we experience some results, you might say, in practice, it's still just ordinary. It's just the way it is. There's the well-trained mind, there's the untrained mind. There's the mind that's clear, the mind that's unclear. The mind that sees through conventional reality and the mind that's still stuck in conventional reality. As we know, someone like Lumpur Chao would say, when people say, well, are you an Arahant? Are you enlightened? <clears throat> say something like, it answer maybe, I'm nothing. There's nothing to be, nothing to become. For somebody who's seen through conventional reality, you know, the, the mind is quiet, it's peaceful. It's not making anything out of its experience, even the experience of the unconditioned, deep insight. You might say it's a theme, a very subtle theme that runs through our training, is <clears throat> just getting used to the ordinary. And it's peaceful. And when you get used to the ordinary, then you're not suffering. <clears throat> you get more used to not craving, or not following your craving. Being more content with the way things are, but content because you see that everything is just as it is, it's just ordinary. Some people, when they come into Buddhism, they have the idea how an enlightened monk should be. We all have our fantasies and imagination about it should be a certain way, have a certain kind of aura and presence, and maybe be uttering very wise words, wise sayings all the time. Kind of be there floating in some kind of cloud of uh, great peaceful energy or something. And maybe that does appear sometimes, but at the same time, if you understand the practice more, you understand that you know, enlightenment is getting in touch with the ordinary. So the enlightened teachers we meet, which we're fortunate enough to meet, you realize how, although they are very peaceful and wise, at the same time they're very in touch with the ordinary. They still just eat, but they eat mindfully, without craving, because they've trained themselves to abandon craving. They sleep, they sleep without craving, and they talk without craving. They just go about their business. They can still do very ordinary things, sweep leaves or clean up their kuti or whatever they may do. But as long as we're looking for something special, extraordinary, often we miss the point of the practice because it's still an idea, a concept that maybe we're clinging to. And it may also be a cause for us to become disappointed in the practice. 
And many people said that they went to see Lumpur Cha and they maybe were expecting some great elaborate explanation of the Dhamma. But he might have just talked again in a very ordinary way about ordinary things. Not what they expected at all. It doesn't mean to say it wasn't a purposeful visit, but that they got the unexpected. He's always helping people to see through their own concepts and desires and attachments in very practical ways. There's this story like of the Jiao Kun from Bangkok with a group of monks and lay people went to see him. They're asking for something good before they left. And when you ask for something good in Thailand, often it means you're asking for an amulet or some kind of special, specially blessed thing. And uh, if I remember correctly, Lumpur Cha lifted up a toothwood, just an ordinary toothwood, and the monks were a little bit surprised, what's he doing with this? And he talked about this toothwood and he just said, is this piece of wood long or short? And they couldn't answer, I believe, because they weren't sure what to answer, what to say. So Anjan Chah explained, well, if you want a long piece of wood, then you'd say this piece of wood is short. If you want something very small, tiny, then this piece of wood is too long. It all depends on your mind. At the very least, they remembered that teaching, whether they penetrated it or not, understood it or not, I don't know. Ajahn Chah was like this. He's just helping people to see their own mind in a situation and see how we add to our experience, give meaning to things all the time because of our mind being bound up with the conventional reality. We always label things and we don't see beyond that. This is the nature of conventional reality. It's obviously very useful because we need language and concepts to live in this world and communicate. But at the same time, <clears throat> they bind us to the world, to attachment and to ultimately to suffering. You see how unreliable conventional reality is because it's made up by people's minds, concepts, labels, that we put onto things. We say name and form is the names we put onto things. As you meditate, you just see how you're constantly labeling your experience. You're attaching to pleasant experiences that leads to a certain kind of proliferation and wanting. You attach to unpleasant experiences, leads to a certain, another kind of proliferation not wanting. We're constantly judging ourselves, comparing to others, comparing ourselves to our ideals, constantly labeling the world around us. And we just caught into that, that habit. One day something is long and next day it's short. One day something is good, next day something is bad. One day I like something, the next day I don't like it. This is the world of conventional reality. So the only way to break through that is to bring up more mindfulness, awareness. Train the mind in that. To actually set aside all the thinking and conceptualizing for a while. <clears throat>
have a rest from it and then return to look at it with a mind that is more neutral, detached. And see, this is just the way things are. But to see beyond the labels, the only way we can do that is to bring up more mindfulness, more continuous mindfulness, which is why we use these meditation techniques. Training in the breath meditation, walking meditation, using Bhutto, recollecting death, and so on. These are ways to train the mind to drop its obsession with conventional reality and the hindrances that that feeds. To experience some real peace and calm, clarity, so you can then look more carefully at the way things are the way the mind, the way attachment forms in the mind. And when you're truly peaceful, then you can look back and say, well, who is this person? And this person sitting here or walking here. What is it? And look through it, go through your own body and mind and see, see it on a deeper level. We really have to teach ourselves to learn how to look and ask questions. When you look at the body, you contemplate what makes up the body, the 32 parts, the four elements. And really ask yourself, well, where is the person that I identify with in that? Where's the name, the label on any of that? <clears throat> Even the labels we use for the parts of the body, ultimately, they're just labels. It's just earth, air, fire and water. It doesn't have any kind of name or label on it. Same with feelings and memories and thought formations, sense consciousness. Really look at them with mindfulness. Ask yourself, where is the person in that? These things don't exist as individual kind of entities in the world. They're we say dependently arisen. A person comes into being because of mother and a father. There's an egg that's fertilized and it grows into an embryo. If there was no mother and father, you wouldn't have a person. If there was no food or air, you wouldn't have a person. There are all kinds of causes and conditions that need to be there for a human being to be born, to grow. Once born, it has to be aging, aging, sickness and death. Then that human being is gone. The physical world is like this. You know, everything comes into existence because of causes and conditions. And then the labels and the concepts we used in the world also arise according to causes and conditions. In order to see through that, we have to really bring our mind back to the present moment. Develop mindfulness over and over again, be willing to do that. But you notice when you do see through the conventional reality, your mind drops some of that obsession or attachment, and then there is peace, which kind of draws us on, leads us on. This is the peace where the mind can accept just 
the ordinary nature of things, the way things are. Things arise according to causes and conditions, and then they pass away. When you feel hot on a hot day, you know, there's causes and conditions for that. We call it hot, feeling hot. It's just an experience because of the temperature. When you feel cold in the cold weather, again, it's just an experience based on causes and conditions. It's just the way things are. The way this body feels, whether it's healthy or ill, weak or strong, there's causes and conditions for that. If we never put effort into establishing mindfulness, meditating, well, of course, we'll never see beyond that. Buddhism will remain a, a kind of a theory or a philosophy, which it is for many people, and has a certain use, but it's not really that what the Buddha was intending. He wasn't intending for it just to be another philosophy or theoretical explanation of the way the world is. He was encouraging us to practice, to train in mindfulness, train in wisdom actually penetrate deeper into our experience, dispel some of our delusions that we kind of cling on to just out of habit. So I'll leave you with these uh, thoughts for your reflection. We can carry on meditating for a bit longer.